Hello, friends. It's Leo from the Dose Wellness Show. Join me today on Brony Studio and on Spotify as I traverse through the world of well-being, speaking to students, academics, and people of all walks of life as they share the stories of overcoming hurdles to create the ideal life. Catch me every Friday with a new guest, a new story, and new perspectives. Hope you enjoy. With me in the studios is Maddie. She's an undergrad at ANU. She's worked in a hospital for over eight years. Today, she's going to tell us a story of body image, mental health, and well-being. Welcome, Maddie. Um, as you said, I am an ANU student. I am fifth year studying a Bachelor of Science Psychology and a Bachelor of Business Administration. Um, I have been working in hospitality for eight years now. As a 23-year-old, I started when I was 15 and I have progressed through many, many, many jobs and have experienced a bit about everything about psychology and hospitality. Um, I definitely have struggled with mental health in my lifetime. Um, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety when I was 15 years old. So can you tell us about like, you know, the struggles you face? Like, tell me about, you know, the symptoms and your feelings and emotions. Why was it a tough time for you? Why, why, were, why were they dark days? Um, so neither of my parents went to university. So as a 15 year old, I was kind of a little bit confused about what I wanted to do, what I went, where I wanted to be in the world. Um, I was good at school, so that was definitely something I had to ride on. Um, good at sports for a while, but I did drop that to study harder. Yeah, fair enough. Um, you know, you can't fit everything in your timetable. <laughs> yeah, especially yeah, especially yeah. through study. you definitely got to make some sacrifices. Um, I didn't really have any talents, never played musical instruments, etc. And I was just kind of riding the journey of being in school and experiencing puberty was definitely a big thing for me um I am quite tall as you've probably noticed I did struggle a lot with my height growing up a lot about body image etc what's that Netflix show with like that awkward tall basketballer (laughs) have you seen that before (laughs) I think I know what you're talking about but I definitely would have avoided that one Um, yeah, my height was definitely something I had to get used to. I played yeah, a lot of netball, yeah. so that was appreciated. Um, but growing no, way being tall. No, t- being tall is a good thing. You know, models are usually really, really tall. Runway models are like 1.8 to 2 metres. Yeah. Well, and you are? How, how tall are you? I am 1.88. So, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> tall girl. But um, interestingly yeah. enough, I did do modelling around the same time as I was hitting puberty. Right, right. Um, but the modeling industry is something I can touch on very quickly. I was told when I was 16, because I am a size 10 and not a size 8, that I would be plus size. So. <laughs> oh, wow, that's really tough. Yeah. That's pretty skinny for like normal people, but I, I guess models are like super, super skinny. And, you know, this, I guess there's this unhealthy culture of, I don't know, like where models don't eat too much. And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that was definitely pushed. Because, you know, um, people come in different range of sizes and shapes. You know, yeah. there's Rebel Wilson, <laughs> who's on the plumper side. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, so, we've definitely so, come yeah. a long way with that. Yeah. So um, it seems to me from what you're saying that puberty caused you um, some grief, um, like doing some modelling and some of the really crazy high expectations, like, yeah. you know, impacted you a lot. Yeah. Um, can you describe more about, you know, what you were feeling? So like, I think... Um, just going back to yeah. these crazy expectations, the expectations I had were only ever put upon myself by myself. 
Um, my parents, obviously, as I said, didn't go to university and didn't really have the expectation of me, um, which is a good and a bad thing. It means that, you know, everything I worked towards, I had to do it for myself and I had to push myself towards that. And I think that's when I developed a really strong um, niche for perfectionism. Um, and when I wasn't feeling like I was achieving the best I possibly could, um, it definitely had a negative effect on my mood. Yeah, that sounds tough. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I mean, it's good to have expectations, but when it's like too high and you can't achieve it, then, you mm-hmm. know, that's an issue. Yeah, sure. of course. Yeah. yeah. So that was definitely something I struggled with when I was younger. And, and then that... what resulted? Like, did you, would you enter like periods of negativity, negative loops, or like severe I can't do it attitude, or like, would you, how would you cope with like this unrelenting desire to succeed? Yeah. So I'd have bad days. I'd have bad days to the point where I actually physically couldn't do anything at all. Um, and spirit, like emotionally as well. It was a, it was a struggle. Um, but pushing myself through those at that time wasn't really an option for me because as a 16 year old, I didn't really know what was going on. I thought it was normal. You know, everyone's experiencing, different things everyone has different perspectives on things so I think yeah for me I thought it was just kind of you know growing up you just you feel crappy that's fine like (laughs) but um it wasn't until I started getting support and started talking to people that I realized something was not right um you know these these panics I'd have just sitting down and thinking about my future um definitely just taking negativity out of everything, even, you know, inherently positive things. I just was always thinking that people had an ulterior motive. Lots of paranoia, I'd say, around what people thought of me and what I thought of myself. So, um, yeah, it wasn't until I was older until I started talking about that and then kind of realised, oh, okay, like, not everyone thinks like this. Like, this isn't just a normal thing. So I think putting pressure on myself to to be that ideal of normal and then to assume that everything that I was going through was just silly and childish and I'd grow out of it one day. So accepting that, you know, you actually do need help and you actually do need to talk to people about your experiences was something that I needed to come to terms with. So, yeah. Yeah, no, so to overcome, like, you know, these feelings of catastrophe or, like, low self-esteem and, you know, depression, anxiety... Um, what you know, you mentioned a few times that you got help. So, uh, how how did it manifest, or like, uh, how how did this help present itself? Did you have to like go out and seek it yourself? Um, tell yeah, me more so about the help you received. It was a little bit of everything. I think I started seeing a counselor at my school in Canberra, um, and she was great, and she was actually quite concerned about me, which made me concerned about myself, which was nice. Um, and then I just kind of sifted into talking to my GP about a lot of things and wanting to know what my problems were and how I was going to move past them. Um, My GP did put me on medication when I was 17 to start with. Yeah, no, I've heard about these medications and how, like, you know, it takes a long time to figure out what, you know, your correct dosage is and which ones work and which ones don't. So was it like SSRIs? Yep. So I yeah. started on SSRIs, which are most commonly prescribed um, for symptoms of anxiety and depression. Um, and then it actually took did take me six years to finally figure out which medication worked for me the best. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, SSRIs are serotonin reuptake inhibitors. So can you tell me, like, um, did these medications work immediately or did it take a month to, like, you know, 
Well, they actually have um, an eight-week. Eight-week? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you start taking them and you actually won't notice any differences until eight weeks. And when you've got anxiety, you're counting down those days and you're almost expecting, you know, on that eight-week mark for it to flip and to you, for you to start feeling better, but it's not like that at all. So I think that's one of, you know, the most common negative things about these sort of medications is that because they do take such a long time to come into effect, you do lose patience with them. Um, and you lose patience with yourself as well, just being like every day waking up going, all right, five weeks to go, like until I feel better. But really it's more it's more about, you know, your personal journey and what you can do every day to help yourself sure. instead of waiting around for that medication to kick in. Yeah, so, I mean, I've heard that, you know, when you're medicated, you also, like, undergo therapy. So can you tell me about, like, the different things that you, you know, you tried with your psychologist or psychiatrist or GP? So, you know, specifically, you know, I've heard of cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance commitment therapy, schema therapies and stuff like that. So can you tell me about, you know, what worked for you and tell me about the processes? Like, I, I, I want you to teach us a bit about how these, um, how, how these things work. Yeah, so when you get into a proper program with a psychologist or a counsellor um, and not just there for kind of emotional support, which is what I went through for a while. So I was going to counsellors on um, need basis. So when I was going through a really rough time, I'd go to a counsellor. But um, as I've gotten older, I've definitely um, engaged more with the psychologist who has helped me through the process, as we, as we were just talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So psychoeducation um, is exactly what it sounds like it's the first step in therapy where you do learn about your disorder learn about your feelings learn about how to um help them out and basically just to understand them because there's a lot of misconceptions about mental health obviously there's still a stigma that exists and this is why you're doing this today um breaking down that stigma is so important but especially with yourself and just understanding why you feel this way you know and it's not it's not wrong it's not abnormal but it is something that you do need to learn about and by learning you actually uh come to peace with it I think is the best way to describe it and from there that's when you can expand on different therapies so just a list of what I've been through as a 23 year old um I've been through obviously psychoeducation my psychologist has been great with that um interpersonal therapy which is a form of acceptance and commitment so that's just how to engage with other people and obviously how to um, engage with yourself more importantly and be able to understand yourself. Um, Social skills training is very important for anxiety just to decrease that fight or flight response, which um, obviously is quite inherent to anxiety symptoms. Um, CBT, yeah. So cognitive behavioural therapy is the most widely used form of therapy in any sort of disorder really and that's just about restructuring um automatic thoughts being able to understand why you're having those thoughts and then react in a way that trains your brain that you know immediate reactions of that fight or flight response which is so common is the way in which you can change your brain's behavior and then therefore be able to deal with social situations better so CBT is very commonly used in anxiety, but there's a lot and a lot of other disorders that it's used for, especially for depression, um, even things as significant as schizophrenia and bipolar. It's all about, you know, trying to increase serotonin or decrease the reuptake of it, which is yeah, know, yeah. important for, thing. Um, I forgot to mention that serotonin is a mood regulator um, hormone in the brain. It's uh, one of the neurotransmitters and... 
uh, having serotonin in the brain ensures that um, you have stable mood and you know um, you're not extremely sad or like extremely manic and stuff like that. So yeah, that's what serotonin is. Yes, yeah, the for happy those one. of you. <laughs> serotonin. Oh, there's is also dopamine. Yeah. Dopamine. Um, yeah, we have noradrenaline in the brain. Uh, yeah, and other modulators like vasopressin. And yeah, you know, you're definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. 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 So, um, okay, uh, Maddie, let's say I, I'm not feeling great today and I have the thought that, you know, um, like somebody really, really hates me and I'm a total disaster and, you know, I'm the most unlikable guy on the planet. So, how would we use CBT to, like, you know, let's say uh, modulate and, let's say, correct our thinking? Because I remember that CBT incorporates the ABCD. So A is the action, B is the behavior that results of the action, C is the consequence, and D is like um, dismissing or disputing. So would you like to walk me through if I were a hypothetical client? Well, hitting the nail on the head with the D there. So um, CBT is all about making you question your thoughts as they come about. So a lot of it has to do with running through a series of questions saying, oh, but what happens if this wasn't true? And what are the different perspectives I could be taking with this? And I love how you're asking me like I'm an actual psychologist. I'm not a psychologist, by the way. But <laughs> no, hypothetically... No, but a person with lived experience, you know, your opinion counsellor. Yeah, so yeah. just questioning your thoughts and why you feel that way and what the actual alternatives would be, I think just makes you kind of see that the way that you are responding, thinking that someone hates you, um, depending on the context behind it. But, you know, you just have to go through and be like, oh, well, what happens if they didn't hate me? And what are the indicators they are giving me that they are annoyed at me or whatever? And, you know, what are the solutions that you can go through to actually determine how this person does feel about you? Yeah, maybe asking them instead of like, you know, making hypothesis and catastrophizing, you know, like, yeah thinking the worst outcome yeah Yeah. so those could work yeah um so okay let's rewind here a bit so that was d so what was a a is action so the action is that maybe someone didn't talk to me for a week maybe you know my my one of my best friends you know might have been pissed at an action or a joke i made at a bar the other day and then yeah that was the triggering action Mm -hmm. potentially and then they haven't talked to me for a few days and then I think the behavior is that, you know, I might, I don't know, have increased heartbeat or, you know, I might, um, you know, have clenched fists or be a bit more nervous. Yeah, or, so you you're know, talking about the physiological yeah, response yeah, to physiological it. physiological yeah. responses. Yeah. Um, I mean, for you, what were some of the physiological responses you noticed when you were in these periods of funk? Well, um, I think I still have physiological responses every day, to be honest, so... Increased heart rate is something I've struggled with for a very, very, very long time. Um, Increased blood pressure is also a big one and one I've had to monitor for a few years of my life. Um, Sweaty palms is so underrated. So that is one of the most uncomfortable feelings is feeling feeling like you should constantly be washing your hands just because your hands are sweating all the time. Um, Just this overall feeling of uncomfortableness, I think when you're in social situations and you you think that something increased wrong. heart rate yeah, yeah, like yeah. sweating yeah, yeah, yeah and just yeah. this overall feeling of like oh my god i don't belong here so that, yeah. yeah something i definitely experienced before but um yeah as you've been saying like physiological responses are a massive massive part of anxiety symptoms um there is medication for that as well which is like beta blockers yeah 
Um, I've never personally been on beta blockers, but spoken about it with my doctor when I do have those common panic symptoms. Um, I'm lucky I do not have panic disorder. Panic disorder is um, a difficult spectrum of anxiety disorder and um, can lead to some really uncomfortable situations. But there is options and beta blockers are the ones that do stop those overwhelming physiological responses to social situations, etc. No, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's an alternative for those of you out there to discuss with your GP if you're getting panic attacks, I suppose. So we've talked about, you know, physiological responses, which is B in the ABCD. Can you mm-hmm. tell us more about C, the consequences? So like maybe the consequence of like, you know, me feeling really worried about that, about someone hating me or like someone not being my friend anymore. And yeah, this could be irrational. It might not be justifiable, you know, this thought. So the consequences would probably be that you isolate yourself quite a lot, especially from that person. And because you see generalizing is a big one as well. You'd probably be generalizing it to the rest of your friends saying, well, if that one friend thinks that of me, then why, you know, what are the reasons why the others won't think of me that way? So um, that's where a lot of social isolation comes in. Like we've all seen how people shut themselves in their room for a couple of days and can't be in those social situations because they're catastrophizing everything that could happen or might happen or has happened. Um, So the consequences can be anything from not being able to engage in a conversation properly with someone to completely isolating yourself from family and friends. Yeah, yeah, no, that sounds really bad. Um, So I guess moving on from consequences, uh, we briefly mentioned about how you dispute these like irrational thoughts. So, you know, some of the rational thoughts could be disputed by, you know, you could, it could be labeling, black and white thinking, uh, catastrophizing. What else? What, how else could you dispute these thoughts? Well, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head. I think black and white thinking as a consequence can only really be counted or disputed by questioning yourself and finding those gray areas. I think a lot about anxiety and, um, depressive symptoms in yourself is just having that commitment to looking at all the options instead of just you know the most positive or the most negative one like there is certain situations where you can eat you can't either be one or the other and it's just going to be in this gray area which you haven't explored yet so just understanding that your perspective isn't the perspective of everyone necessarily and you need to just be finding out more about other individuals and what their thoughts are. What yeah, their finding nuance. Are. nuance. Yeah, of course, sure. of course. And just acknowledging that, you know, you might be right and thinking what you are, but you also might be wrong. And I think that's the most important thing is understanding that, you know, just because you're feeling this way doesn't mean that everyone else is feeling that way as well. And, you know, just acknowledging acknowledging yourself and the way you're feeling and accepting that of course like it's not it's not wrong to feel those ways but then when you're trying to find other perspectives like talking to some really close family and friends opening up to others for me um was one of the best things I've ever done um you know there is some people who pretend to be there for you and then when the going gets tough they're not and that's just kind of no, part of life yeah yeah, yeah. but um just trying to find at least one person that you can kind of question things with so I have one friend who 
you know, I still go to today almost daily and say, hey, this is the way I'm feeling. Um, what do you think? And she's like, you know what? You're definitely catastrophizing this. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. finding and just listening to someone you trust and someone you love and understanding, you know, that they probably are thinking a different way and they can reason what you're thinking. So, yeah, I definitely recommend getting on board with that. Yeah, getting a second opinion is always a good thing. You know, yeah. to check, you know, whether you're being fully rational or, you a know. A mediator. Yeah, <laughs> a mediator. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that was CBT. Um, do you want to talk about the other schemas or, like, other therapies you experienced and how they were effective? What, what was something, something else you found effective, Maddie? Um, mindfulness is a big one for me. Um, I think in recent times we have gone through a meditation, probably just, it's not a fad, I wouldn't say, but it's definitely flooded our social medias and, you know, just exploring different perspectives, etc. But mindfulness and being aware of your own emotions and your own responses was something that I worked really hard on. And I feel like as you mentioned before at the beginning of the episode, but journaling has been major, major for me. It did take a while. I remember the first time I wrote in my journal, my brand new journal from Kiki K. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I wrote down... Kiki K fanboy. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's um, mainly female targeted audience. <laughs> gender neutral, gender neutral. <laughs> but the first time I wrote down that journal, I was told to write my feelings in and yeah, have yeah. a go at what, you know, what my psychologist has told me. And I was like, this is crazy. Like, what am I writing about? I'm not 10 years old. Like, <laughs> <laughs> No, it's fine. There's no shame. I mean, it, it, I think it's therapeutic when you pour out all your emotions. It's kind of cathartic. and Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think... The most underrated part about journaling is going back and reading over later, like the first, you know, first few times I did it, I was like, wow, this is so cringe. But <laughs> as I get more into it and as I've explored more into journaling and writing down my feelings and my thoughts and different perspectives, going back and reading over it, especially in times of doubting yourself, etc., um, definitely has a really, really, really good effect on your current moods and just understanding, you know, you're a human being, you feel emotion and you actually push through it. You get through emotions every single day and being able to write that down, taking 10 minutes a day, sometimes that's hard for me, the 10 minutes, but um, just, you know, being able to see yourself as a human being and as someone with feelings and reading back over that. Sometimes it's cringe, sometimes it's really rewarding, so... <laughs> No, it's good. It seems like journaling worked for you and it works for a lot of people as well. Um, so uh, for just to remind you listeners out there, um, you know, there's different forms of journaling. So there's sleep journaling, um, there's habit forming journaling, uh, mindfulness journaling, goal setting journaling. So like if you want to achieve something, you know, long term, you know, you ask yourself, oh, how do I set smart goals? So, you know, you can be specific, measurable, attainable, um, you know, reasonable and there's a time limit. So, you know, one thing I found very useful is like using the journals to keep a track of, you know, how my mood is and where I am in life in terms of like, you know, my my sub goals and my bigger goals. And yeah, no, Maddie, like, you know, going on to that point, you know, it seems like, you know, you've, um, you've come a long way from the dark days. Um, I mean, things seem to be looking up and bright for you. Uh, what things are you anticipating what what positives do you have going for you right now because you know I know that you've got um 
a grad job set up can you tell us more about um how you're going to continue like i guess applying these techniques you've developed over time and how where your life is heading at the moment yeah so just going off what you said i think it's important to acknowledge that just because i do have these plans in place and just because you know I have worked hard for a lot of things it doesn't mean that I am cured like in quotation marks but um I still do have you know rough days sometimes I wake up and I just go oh not today (laughs) like I'm just not feeling it today um but I am definitely better with pushing through that and to understanding my own feelings and you know that yeah I might be a little bit different I might be experiencing some different brain patterns etc but it doesn't mean that I can't build those I can't build upon my goals and work towards goals and that's exactly what I have been doing and that's kind of what's kept me forward I think for a lot of people it's about finding your own your own thing and your own goals and what makes you feel good about yourself um for me that's definitely been working towards the end of university as I said my parents didn't go to university and it's something I've become really proud of in yeah, well done. Thank Congrats you. Congrats for Thank um, graduation. You. It's, it's a long haul, five years, hey? Yeah, yeah five yeah, years. Yeah, five yeah. long years. <laughs> yeah, five years. So at the end of this year, I'll hopefully be graduating. I've got a full-time load next semester. So, you know, we'll be looking at how that goes. But um, I am moving to Melbourne in February to start a grad job at one of the big four firms. Um that grad job I have worked really, really hard towards. And it's been a lot of support and a lot of... Um, Definitely not luck, but just good chances and good opportunities that I've been given. And I'm very, very grateful to the support network around me for helping me through it. Um, Yeah, I think it's just about, you know, finding what works for you and something to keep you going. I think it's always good to have plans in the future. Obviously, that's been hard with um, COVID, et cetera, (laughs) saying that word. Um, Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But still having something to look forward to is really important. And that can be something as small as, you know, a walk with a friend next week or the potential to go away. I've had lots of plans cancelled over the years, so um, that's been difficult. But, you know, just having something, an end goal. And if you're just starting out uni, that end goal is finishing uni, I think. And that's just a massive, massive achievement. So... Yeah, it's just about finding what works for you and what makes you excited and what keeps you going. Thanks for tuning in to Dose Wellbeing Show. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Leo signing off. Catch you next time.